Um, I will give you an example of an actor who's a very good actor that can't do that. Matthew McConaughey. Well, certainly he can't. All right, all right, all right. What, are going to bite some necks tonight? Okay. <laughs> he would do like the reverse quote from Dazed and Confused. He'd be like, uh, they all keep getting older and I just stay the same. <laughs> That's actually a good that's actually a good example. <laughs> that's awesome, Mark. Greetings, savory inferiors, and welcome to Vampire Insider, the unofficial podcast of the Anne Rice Immortal Universe. Each week, co-host Christina LaRusso, Joanne Palumbo, and myself, Mark Snedeker, recap and analyze episodes delve into Anne Rice's library and have in-depth discussions of other works about the supernatural. Tonight, we're going to discuss an interview that Rollin Jones gave back in about a year ago, but we've been wanting to have an episode about this to talk about some of the subjects that he's brought up. Uh, and with that, I would like to introduce my podcast partners. Hello, Christina LaRusso. Hello, Joanne Palumbo. Hi, Mark Snedeker. Hi, Joanne. Hello, Mark Snedeker. Hello, Christina. Oh, Joni, you have to hear this. What? This is so good. Tell me. Guess what we watched just before we came to talk to you about vampires? Uh, you'll never guess. You'll never oh, guess. Don't you'll even never bother. You'll never guess. Don't, don't, don't even bother. The Sopranos. Did you? I, you want it? It was. Yeah. We watched... The first episode. Want to know a fun fact? I do. I don't like that show, and I've never... That is crazy. Yeah, I haven't really watched much of it. What? Is it like the whole all Italians are criminals thing? It hits too close to home for Joanne. I know. Like, I'm so sorry that, you know, your family had to leave the sanitation business. <laughs> but <laughs> Little known fact, Joanne was actually known as Meadow in a previous life. Yeah. Maybe now that she's in, man, in man. the witness protection program in the Poconos. It's a it great show. Been, Tony Soprano may have been loosely based upon my father. So there's That's some what I'm saying. issues yeah. we're having with that. Tony Palumbo, Tony Soprano. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my Joanne's God. like, I we are nothing like that. Now we're gonna go to Buco's for dinner. <laughs> well, it's a good place, Mark. Uh, it is. Yeah. Well, you know, he's got the sauce. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh Christina, why don't you lead us into this? Okay. Well, here's what I wanted to first talk about because oh, something yeah. something oh, has my phone back something then. has come out at this time of the year. Everybody looks forward to seeing it. The Spotify wrapped. Oh, yes. Statistics. Yes. And so one of the things that happens when you do a podcast is you get your own list of statistics, like, you know, how many listeners do you have and all that. But one of the, the statistics that we thought was so funny, and Joe, I don't think that you've seen these, so we'll see if you can guess. I have guess. Not seen them. All right, well, so. Are you in for a treat? Ooh. Guess, guess which is, so our number one country for listeners is united states. the united states but that's only only 60 something percent yeah. of our listeners are in the united states so we're you know like almost 50 50 we're that, international these, we are these international. foreigners love us <laughs> internationally renowned podcast i love it but can you guess who our second country and, the second second yeah. and third countries are for uh listeners the uk okay canada that's second. Germany. Yes. yes. How the fuck did you even know that? Because we are a big hit with the Wiener Schnitzel crowd. I knew that. We're like Hasselhoff, man. <laughs> yeah, we're like the Hoff. So 
So to our German listeners, guten Morgen, guten Tag, und guten Abend. Oh. And Mark's fluent in German. Mark can speak well, German. Let's not go so far as to say Leah, fluent. Leah really Leah, can speak okay. German. Yeah. Mark can speak some German. I can but... order a beer and find the bathroom. <laughs> Which no, is really I can all I need. I Spanish and I didn't live in Mexico or Spain, so that's not very impressive. Uh, excuse me, Canada's actually number five. Do you know who number four is? Um, Australia. No, that's a good guess, though. Brazil. What? So, obrigado to our yes. Brazilian uh, listeners. So, anyway, what we would like to say, everyone, is thank you so much for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Uh, the statistics showed that you are sharing us with your friends, and we're so grateful for that. And and really, that's all we can ask is, is please share us with friends. There is one more thing that we are going to ask, and we're going to try and ask this each episode. Um, we have not been able to get any kind of connection, although we've tried repeatedly with a um, AMC. AMC. And so if you guys could... If you feel comfortable doing this, tagging Even AMC, if you feel super uncomfortable doing you know, it. Just, it's just, just a hashtag for ta- God's sake. Tag them for us. couple little, it's four letters. It's three letters and an at. I mean, come on. Let's not get ridiculous. You can do it, guys. On Twitter. So we would appreciate it if you do that. Um, but do what you're comfortable with. And now let's move into the meat of the subject today, which is going to be... Sausage. Huh? Blood sausage. Yeah. It is blood sausage. Blood sausage. Yeah. So we're going to take a look at this interview uh, that Rollin did a year ago. Really, I think just a little over a year ago now yeah. that came out. Joe, if you could read the questions and Mark read Rollin's answers, and then we'll discuss Rollin's answers. So this is an this is an interview with creator and showrunner Rollin Jones for Interview with the Vampire. You can find it on AMC Talk at amc.com. And it is written by Laura E. Marcus. Yes. Maybe we could interview her about her interview of Rollin, Rollin Jones Mabel. about Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> oh! That's meta, that's, meta, wait, meta. Maybe, that's too meta, Mark. Yeah, I'm <laughs> uncomfortable with that level of meta. So, I don't think you're ready for this meta. Oh, clearly not. <laughs> All, All right. right, go ahead, Joe. How did this show come about? Was the source material something you were personally invested in taking on, or did something else spark this as a challenge for you? When I came in for my first meeting with the execs at AMC, we were all go- we were going over all the stuff that I was interested in. Actually, one of the things I had told them was that I really wanted to write a love story. We w- we went back and forth about what books they had the rights to. Literally, literally, I had gotten up with my stuff, put my backpack on, and was heading out the door. And they were like, you know, there's one other thing we got. You're probably not going to be interested in it. They said it was Anne's vampire books, and I stopped. I closed the door, and I sat back down. I was like, let's spend 20 more minutes talking. A lot of the stuff that I was pitching to them and they wanted to see was something of scale, something large. I wanted to have a very strong design element. So suddenly it was like, let's take a look at this. Then I went on a two to three week odyssey reading all the books and increasingly saying, you know, there might be something here. Don't give this to anybody else. Then I think I came back and pretty definitively and said, I want it. Don't give it to anybody. I want to do it for you guys. I read the first book and then I would and then when I read the second and third books I was like there's plenty here and it feels really really adaptable and open for serialization. I thought it was a good thing to become a TV show. I saw it pretty clearly. So first of all, 
kudos to Rollin Jones, who can just take a meeting at AMC and say, hey, let's look at some shit and see if you if we want to work together. And then, and then grab his backpack and be like, I'm out, bitches. And then like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah, it's like you guys got nothing. He's like, Hunger Games 11? No thanks. <laughs> I, I want something really unique. I want something I could sink my teeth into. Whoa, Literally. There we are. There, there we, we are. Go. Bitey McBiterson. All right. Well, all right. all right. So for me, what's interesting about that is saying he wanted to do a love story. It, that is interesting, Christina. What a great point to bring that up. <laughs> Shut up, Mark! Don't don't mock me. What? Don't mock me. Well, you just for taking the low hanging fruit. I, because I said that, literally said that to you four hours ago. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, this is a love story. It is. It is. No, it, it really is. It's it's a love story, not just between Louis and our and Lestat, but it's a love story that includes Claudia and Armand and so many other beautifully written characters. Daniel, yeah, it, it's there's a lot now. Not the healthiest love story of all time, but so few of them are. I mean, even Romeo and Juliet was a pretty toxic relationship. Well, you can't have just, it's it's not interesting if you have a, a love story that just, it, there's no tension. Yeah, you can't you just go, to... oh, Heathcliff, and they run together and everything's great. Right. This isn't a Hallmark Christmas movie we're talking about, so there's going to be some problems. Oh, even Hallmark has to throw some conflict in there, but it's usually like, Oh no! I gave up my big ad, big ad executive job, and I don't think this lumberjack is ever going to turn into a prince, <laughs> even though he's super handsome. Mark, did you watch last week's Hallmark movie? Because that's literally the plot. You know why? Because that's literally the plot of all of them. <laughs> but okay, back to the interview. The love story aspect of this is is interesting. As we know, he has since refined that to say a a toxic. It's a toxic toxic romance, relationship. A toxic. Yeah relationship yeah i mean obviously we can see the love story of it uh, those of us who've read the book we know kind of what the end game is meant to be for, for all of these characters that they've introduced absolutely what i'm curious about is as they have it situated now it looks like it's gonna it, it could go i don't i'm not saying that this is how it will go but it looks like it could go in the direction of love triangle, and they're going to make it really easy, and it's you know could be a quadrilateral, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> parallelogram. <laughs> but I would be disappointed if they would do that because yeah. first of all, that's not the ethic of love in the Vampire Chronicles. There's a there's a way that these characters engage in relationships. Lestat, tell us how that literally is. falls in love with pretty much everyone that he meets. Yeah. And vice versa. In some, well, right, but who can help? Who could? Who could blame that? That's why I can't wait for him and I to meet. <laughs> <laughs> so, and of the, you know, other vampires, Armand's another one. Armand falls in love with a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, or vampire. Well, for, first, he, you know, he has some pets. He falls in love with one one of his pets, and then he's, you know, they they get turned like a into turtle? vampires. No, Sabelle and oh, Benji. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I think that. Really, what you're looking at when you're looking at the Vampire Chronicles is is really a situation of polyamory. Yeah. There is an end game. Certainly there is. I'm not negating the fact that once you get into the Prince Lestat era, there there is definitely an end game, and it involves Louis and Lestat. Louis and Lestat hook up? What? what? <laughs> I know. Wow. They have no chemistry. Surprise, everyone. <laughs> um, they definitely are very free with their love. And They're they, libertines, and they have they have you know they have varied relationships. Why wouldn't you? 
I mean, look, we were talking about this a little bit before you and I. Try to be friends with somebody for a thousand years. Yeah, you got to get bored. I mean, run out of things to say. Right. All I know is this. If I was immortal, or let's just say when I become immortal, and I was as hot as Louis or Lestat, I'd be banging everything that walked, too. I don't blame them. Right on. Right, right. And And you hook up and you have a relationship for a while, but, you know, give it like an expiration date. You know, and then say, do you want to renew? Yes, no. Don't do automatic Look, renewals. Pe- people can't <laughs> even stay um, faithful to one another for what, a, a 30, 40 year marriage. You want people to stay faithful forever? You know how long forever is? Get the fuck out of here. That's too long. No, I, I agree with you. And so uh, they do that in the Vampire Chronicles. It yeah. is an exploration. And again, look. Well, look, their dating are, pool is not huge. These are not human beings. Right. The human rules and ethics and mores and all of that, they do not apply to vampires. They just, they do not full stop. And it can't be, well, some of them do and some of them don't. They just don't. They have a different class of society they exist on a different plane than human beings do they interact with human beings yes of course they do and sometimes it's in nice ways and cooperative ways and in some way sometimes it's because because they're hungry they're hungry they want you right exactly now can i assume that both of you have a favorite love story that's developing in this oh, universe? A favorite ship that's a good question yeah. without the risk of sounding basic <laughs> that's all right you can be a little basic here it's fine i ship louis and lestat that's it that's it. No Armand, no Daniel, no bullshit. I like my Louis and my Lestat, period. Anne would agree with you. Well, she was a smart woman. I, of course, Louis and Lestat, it, it's very dear to my heart because yeah. th- it is. I mean, that's 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 the, the couple. But I'm eager to see, and I don't know what the relationship will be, if it will be purely antagonistic or if it will be something that is... Armand was in love with him and he was rejected Mm. and now it's antagonistic, but I am just dying to see Lestat and Armand acting together. Well, yeah, that's going to be incredible. Whatever that relationship is, whether it It doesn't have to be romantic, it doesn't have to be romantic. whatever. Whatever that relationship is the relationship that I'm very eager to see. Um, but then, of course, for like endgame wise, Louis and Lestat, of course, Louis right. and Lestat. What about you? I think that for me, again, not necessarily romance, but the Louis and Daniel relationship. Really? Mm-hmm. Because to me, that's what this story, I think that's what season two is going to largely turn on. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about that as this interview progresses. Okay. But I think I would I mean, you know I love the Dubai stuff yeah, for I know one you do. thing. And I really wanna know the whole, you know, backstory of San Francisco mm. and if nothing else, I just want to learn what that fucking loading dock picture is all about. That and the the, the um the, the file. file that says the, the yeah, trust. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to need to know some stuff about that. Know about that. You know who I would love to see find someone special? The original, the original face, the guy from the swamp. Oh, I sure. Just, just for the being the fact of his namesake, I would really like to see him meet somebody and fall in love and have to stop sucking dick out in the bayou you know well i mean to be fair to be fair he was alive near the turn of the 20th century 
So there weren't a lot of opportunities for open relationships. But yeah, sure, no. maybe he finds someone. Maybe Louis turned him and he's going to pop up in Dubai and be like, hey, bitches, it's me. It's me. Yeah. It's me. Remember face. me from episode three? <laughs> you know what, Daniel? It was raining. It yeah. just sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I can answer all those questions, Daniel. Love it. You made some changes to the source material, and the inclusion of Storyville was such an awesome way to incorporate a piece of real history into the show. Another change is making the interviewer more than just bookends and really fleshing out Daniel Malloy. We're building season two right now, and I cannot tell you how important the relationship between Louis and Daniel is and how important the first interview is. There is a lot on Louis' side and Malloy's side Yet to be discovered about what actually went on in San Francisco. It's pretty cool. It actually turned out to be very cool. Well, it looks like we might get your your San Francisco stuff in season two. That's what I was talking about. It's possible that I read this uh, interview beforehand, <laughs> un, uncharacteristically. <laughs> but I was prepared. But yeah, so that is fascinating. Christina, what do you think? I I know that Jacob in subsequent inter interviews has said keep your eye on Dubai. I think we're going to see a lot of stuff unfold there. I I you know I, there are so many people and this is where some of the fan theories get really involved. Um it, we had um Erica on months ago right after the the first season Slay wrapped. Sweet. Yep. And she was talking about how could Armand have been Alice, da Daniel's first wife, right. and, and Armand has done something funny to Daniel's memory? I definitely think something has happened to Daniel's memory. I don't know oh, how no much yeah. it is that Armand did it, or if it was just drugs, or what right. it was, or you know. And there's questions about whether Devil's Minion chapter that that story for Devil's Minion has happened, meaning that Daniel and Armand had their relationship, and that it. Man, In you want to talk about ended. a toxic relationship. Ooh, that really was. All right. But but uh, we'll find out. It, it yeah. looks like we're going to – it looks like at least we'll be satisfied in that. We're going to learn what happened in San Francisco. And I kind of would like that it happened that Daniel – that what seems to be what we've heard is that Armand says, you know – I. He, he hints that he saved Daniel's life, that when Louis yeah. attacked him, Armand was the one that came in and saved his life. And I would like to imagine that their love affair hasn't happened yet and that they that that now, subsequent to this second interview, is when the love affair is going to happen because I would really like to see Eric Bogosian and Assad Zaman acting together in that yeah. in that way. Yeah. But it could. But you be, don't want to see more young Daniel. No, I do want to see more young Daniel. But I, and it could be that they're going to have that ro romance play out when um, uh, it's Luke Brandon Field playing playing Daniel. But I'm I'm excited to see what what happens. Whether whether the fan theories that Devil's Minion has happened has already played out. But if Devil's Minion happened, then Queen of the Damned, in some way, has happened. 
because Devil's Minion happens in Queen of the Damned. Or it could, I guess they could just pluck, they could pluck Devil's Minion out. We are really at a disadvantage because we don't know where we are in the timeline. Yeah, and they've got some fancy writing to do. I, I kind of want to pick apart more of the thing about Storyville. Maybe just, you know, even anecdotally. I had never heard of Storyville until we started watching the show. I didn't know that. And I love New Orleans. I've been there three or four times. I think obviously the last time was with the two of you. And I had never heard of Storyville. I didn't know about this history. So for me, the fact that the um, interviewer brings up the inclusion of Storyville and and does reference it as an awesome way um, to incorporate a piece of history that means a lot to me because I got to learn a little bit more about a city that I do enjoy traveling to, number one. Number two, um, when Mark and I were writing the um, hysterically funny ads that we did for season one, we tried to incorporate some things from the actual Storyville. So I got to kind of dig in and find out about you know the little books that they would hand out, the directories and things like that. Yeah, the yes. blue book. And, and I just thought that was so cool and what a awesome piece of history to learn about because of this show. Um, so for me, I really am sad that it's not like it's over now. We're not going to, we might flash back to Storyville, but Storyville has gone. It's burned down. It's over. Um, yeah. And we're not going to get to have that set anymore, but I'm excited to see obviously what new and amazing sets they come up with. As far as the the deeper relationship and more exploration into Daniel Malloy as a character, instead of, you know, the way that it, to relate it to the movie, it looked, you know, it was such a waste because Christian Slater played Daniel Malloy in the movie. He's a great actor and it would have been awesome to kind of give him a little bit more meat in that kind of, in that role. It's nice to see that it's playing out now, not only in the television series, but also as somebody who is not, read all of the books, it's going to be fun for me now to see Daniel's exploration. I have ideas of what went on. I know he had a relationship with Armand and such and such like that. So I'm really excited about the Daniel Malloy aspect of it. I think the next venue to be excited about is going to be 1970s San Francisco. For sure. And to see how you do that. Now, Christina, Hates the 70s. I do. It's a filthy time. <laughs> it's a filthy, filthy time. No kidding. Every time that you see anything from the 70s, doesn't everybody look like they need a bath? Yeah, but they look like they were having such a great fucking time. They were partying. They were, high, they were screwing. They didn't care. What's wrong with that? There's a lot of body hair. Fair. There was, but there's, yeah, a lot of body hair. And, it, and, and I'm telling you, this was not a time of, uh, like, cleanliness the way we understand cleanliness now. No, they, they, these people did not shower on the regular. I know that they didn't. And everyone was smoking everywhere. Yeah. So everything kind of had a tinge of grime, grime on it. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, filthy decade. But, filthy. But San Francisco is an interesting, oh, yeah. Um, you know, setting. It, it's a huge plot for the story. It's a huge location for the plot of the story. I mean, San Francisco in the 70s, like, where else would you have wanted to be in the in the 60s and 70s is the, other than San yeah. Francisco? You know, I mean, that would be really cool to be. New York, be, maybe. Well, New York, but New, this is, you know, New York, that's, that's you know those scenes where they show, anytime they show, like, old New York and they, oh, they yeah. show, like, TVs floating in the river? Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> that's 1970s New York. It was. 
Um, they did have Studio 54. They did. Joe, I want to I want to pick up the thread that you um, started there with the, the with the history and just say that one of the things that I enjoyed the most about well, really one of the things that I enjoyed the most about the Vampire Chronicles is Anne diving into history. Yeah. Well, that's your thing. You're a nerd. I, lo- I love history. Yeah. Uh, th- I loved the fact that they did that for this show. Yeah. I am beyond excited to see the the theater of vampires history uh, and Lestat and Nikki and, you know, sort of the, the really old 18th century history. I'm very yeah. excited to to see that. So that I, I can't so I can't wait. The decision to go, you know, with the time and setting that Rollin Jones did to me made it, it was just a, it's a more interesting exploration than the antebellum South, which has been done to death. I think that that's a fairly overlooked period is that kind of turn of the century, turn of the 20th century for, you know, some good reasons, just because it's it can be unpleasant to revisit Jim Crow era, but well, yeah, as equally unpleasant to discuss, dis- discuss to revisit slavery, slavery. for sure. Yeah, I just think it. Was, I think it's a. It was a very interesting choice, and you know, yes, you have to deal with the fact that there is rampant institutional racism in the country. But here was this little slice of New Orleans where Louis, as a man of color. Could prosper now. Of course, that ended up being taken away because institutional, institutional racism. racism, right? Look, the, the way that race figures into this, I still feel like it has not fully been explored. For again, we've said this before; it's tough for us to to talk about this because we're three white people. But I think I look forward to more exploration of that, more exploration of you know, sort of where Lestat. Coming to the realization that yeah. that the things that Louis is experiencing was experiencing is going to continue to experience. These are very real things, real issues. They're Absolutely. not they're not to be dismissed. All of that. So I I really applaud those choices that were made to center this story in such a complex way around right. a man of color. I think I think it's it. Great. I love I love it. Well, just the initial decision to make him a man of color was incredible. And gives the story just that much more layers and layers to explore and a lot more depth. Well, and to learn. Like, right, I I learned so much listening to it and watching it and and thinking about it and grappling with what that means. Once the scripts were solidified and the wheels started turning, you continued collaborating with the cast and crew. In chatting with Eric and Mara, Everyone has said that you were so open to feedback and suggestions and had a lot of fun in the process. So it seems like creating the show was an ever-evolving process, even once everyone was on sets. The only way to do these things well is to collaborate constantly over and over again. Actors just have certain knowledge that you can try to fake sitting at a keyboard, but it's in their bodies. They know stuff that you don't quite know, so you have to be open to adjustments and keep it all spontaneous. If you're just slavish to a script, it'll lack some spontaneity to it. I had to write the pilot in isolation in COVID. I normally would have gone to put my ear on the ground in New Orleans, but that it wasn't a possibility at the time. So one of the first things I did was to try and hire as many New Orleans people as I could. Hey, what did I get wrong? 
It was a big round table, and it's the first season, too. You're figuring it out on the fly, what works and what doesn't, what you got to fix in post, all that stuff. Seeing the good ideas with really talented people, then getting the fuck out of the way. The things that they're doing, they've spent 30, 40 years figuring it out. So woe to you if you want to micromanage that. That ain't smart. I want to jump in on this one first because the part that he says at the beginning about how the actors embody these roles and then come to the roles in in a way that sometimes the script has to be has to give way to what the actor's experience sure. of the character is. And I love that and I think that that is going to make all the difference. If you look Sam has Totally embodied Lestat, but that's because Sam was a, a fanboy for Anne Rice yeah. from you know when he was in his teens, right? He's he's read the books, he understands the material, he understands Lestat in a very meaningful way. It's it's in him. And Jacob is definitely also getting to that point. You know, certainly by the end of the season, Jacob's there. Um I think that uh, Assad has, you know, he, he has, we'll see how he's doing, yeah. how he how he engages with Armand as a character. I think that Daniel is not a huge stretch for Eric Bogosian, honestly, right? right? No, like, I mean, yeah. I think that a lot of Daniel's lived experience is probably similar to what Dan, what um, Eric's lived experience is. Um, I've, I've read interviews where Eric has said about, you know, drugs and things like drug yeah. use and stuff like that. Okay, so... So that that's that. What I what I can't wait is to see in season two how these actors live even more into these roles that they they first encountered in in th- that brief season one, and now they're going to be able to flesh them out more in season two. Yeah, that's very exciting to me. Take that on top of just top notch script. Look, look, let's go back to when we first did. Episode one, we did our first respondent response show to episode one. Yeah. And Joanne, we gave the script the best character. Best character. So you you, for your for your who was the standout Mm -hmm. character and your for you it was the script. This the screenwriting on this is unbelievable. Right. But at the end of the day, acting is physical. Mm -hmm. Right? You have to Act, you have to move like the character, talk like the character, Mm -hmm. gestures, all those things. You could try to write every single thing for these actors, but as as Rollin points out, then that doesn't look spontaneous. It Mm -hmm. doesn't look natural. And I think you can see bad movies or bad TV shows with people who are otherwise good actors Mm -hmm. look wooden and stiff and uninspired. We're talking about you, Alexandria Daddario. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, and that's actually a good point because she's been, she was very critically acclaimed in White White Lotus and then less so possibly in the Mayfair Witches. And that may be because she wasn't given the ability to express that character or she just never really found it, right? And that can happen. It certainly can. I just that well, please. I can't with the witches. I can't. I mean, we're going to have to go through eight episodes of Tar, six episodes or whatever it's going to be about talking about the witches. So, like, we're going to hate watch uh, everyone. Yeah, we're going to hate watch them all. But, um, hi, MC. We we really love all of your media. We do. Please <laughs> can't wait to work with you. Please still embrace us. <laughs> By the way, we said a lot of really nice things about your actors and even the show. 
when maybe they weren't wholly deserved. So maybe take that into account. <laughs> That's right. We were trying. Mm-hmm. And if you bring us on board, we will take a softer approach. <laughs> oh, I can be bought. Please. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd, I'd interview her. I, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I would. Okay. But all right. So one, you talked about movement. And one of the things that I want to highlight is is Sam and how Sam moves as Lestat. Yeah. Now, all of these actors are theater-trained actors. Yes. All of these people have worked on stage. And in working on stage, from, from what I understand, and actually I was just listening to a really good spaces yesterday on Twitter where this was brought up, the subject was brought up, but I've also known about this, is sort of acting on stage is a more expressive, full-body thing. Yeah. And that when you have to then act on camera it's tight in on your face it's really smaller much smaller movements and things that are that are that that are necessary right you can do you don't have to project as much and you don't know and so for sam to be able to find that place where Mm -hmm. he is listotting the way that he is like his hand gestures when he it's like watching a a gruesome ballet it is and when he hands Louis his card in the in the very first yeah. episode mm, the way he kind of flicks it in his fingers it just does and and a lot of times if you if you ever watch and I, I brought this up in that first episode and I bring it up again a lot of times you'll see like a little quiver if, if on on close up of somebody yeah. doing something like that like the some real business you know hand yeah. gesture whatever he it was perfectly steady. Solid. He was so comfortable in that. He probably did that 10,000 times. Oh my God. It's just the, it's the, and he's so physically adept, yeah. but Jacob is as well. And also Assad is as well. Jacob has Jacob maybe has the harder job. Jacob right? has the two, has a much harder job. Jacob has the, the old Louie and he has, or he has the, in the past Louie. And then he has Dubai Louie. And Dubai Louis has gone through some changes. He is a different guy. He's seen some shit. He has seen some shit. But he does, he did, he quickly snapped and became kind of temperamental Louis yeah. again in Dubai a couple of times, right? We we saw that happen a couple of times in Dubai. But he is so composed, he is so tightly controlled in, yeah. in Dubai in a way that he is not in the past. Assad as well does this very he's very controlled. Now I want to see how he is as Armand because we have seen that in the in the uh, amuse bouche and in the season trailer, season 2 trailer that Armand is not that, you know, kind of buttoned down quiet guy. He may be quiet, but he's he's got flourish. He has got he's bon vivant. He has got flair. I love Armand in the the things that we've seen. But Joe, what do you think? You know, for me in reflecting upon this question, it's it's not just about how the actors have that ability to, you know, do the movements and and really reel us in because of their their training and experience in the theater, but something stuck out to me where, you know, he says that he he doesn't know what they know kind of in a way. And I think that because he had that mindset going into this, he probably gave Jacob Anderson a lot of latitude in playing Louis being a black man because Rollin obviously has to recognize he has zero knowledge of walking around in a black man's body where Jacob does. And I think that that's something that really lended to the authenticity they did a lot of homework on what it was like. They, they really delved into the history of what it was. The experience was for a black male in a business sense. 
in a familial sense. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense, but no, no. absolutely. You, he, he can bring his lived experience right. as a man of color to this character. You can see exactly what it looks like when a showrunner or producer does step on that because then you slide into stereotype. Right. Right. right? And that's one of the, just the awful things that a showrunner or writer or whatever can do in that, because it's, it's lazy it's uninteresting and it's cheap, right? Right to just have a stereotypical character. So I agree with Christina that you know Louis has the hardest job. Where Sam is amazing for being extravagant. Everything he says, pretty he thinks pretty much. He just says everything he wants. He just does. Whereas Louis has a lot more going on internally mm-hmm. than the other characters. And Jacob was so good at expressing that. Facially, with his body, even body movements, but with those small things, like you could be tight on him in a in a tight camera shot, and he can still give you anguish or doubt mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever it is that oh we you know whatever is going on with him, and he has just they I mean they're both very gifted actors. One of the things that's very interesting, and I was going to say this that it's about black masculinity but really honestly it's about masculinity full stop you know the the different types of masculinity that is on display in this show and that might be in a you know a part of a theme or a theme that we we could we, do a thing on we that. do on masculinity because you're seeing a bunch of different kinds you know you're seeing white southern turn of the century male masculinity you're seeing daniel who you would presume is a little bit more woke his masculinity you're seeing lestat which is 18th century masculinity animalistic you know <laughs> reptile brain masculinity and, and and then you get louis who is a black male also homosexual yeah and what does all of that mean you know like where where what does the masculinity what is that all about in that in that show and then well i think fortunate for this podcast we do have a resident expert on masculinity <laughs> oh, here and oh that's God. joanne oh. <laughs> She knows everything about masculinity. Thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> yes. Nobody knows more about it than Joni. All right. The next question is, how much input did you have into things like casting? And how important was it for you to be hands-on throughout? This is a collaborative art. And scripts are maps for this giant production. So, yeah, I'm in on casting. But I had two really sharp casting directors that were pulling talent from both sides of the ocean. There was an exhaustive search for Louis, Lestat, and Claudia. All three of them had very different journeys to how they got there. It wasn't one audition. I wanted to test range because I know how volatile the show was going to be and how big and operatic it was going to be. I wanted some actors that could ride that edge, go really big and really, really small, and still be specific. I knew I was probably going to need actors who had some kind of facility for language so that they could take this high prose and make it feel like it's everyday conversation. And that's not a gift of every actor. It doesn't mean that those are bad actors. It's just that not everybody knows how to do that. So yeah, I try to be involved in everything and try to have a foot in. I also like to listen to professionals get out of the way and cheerlead more than anything so that they can feel like they're in a place where they can do their best work. They're inspired to do it. Well, I'm just going to give a round of applause to the casting directors. 
Oh, yeah. They because killed it. They killed it on this. I wish that they had done the casting for Mayfair Witches. So, I mean, look, it goes without saying that the casting team, Rollin, whoever was involved with this, really knows their craft. Because I don't think that there is any other actors out there that could be more perfect for the roles that they're doing. Are there, you know, actors that are equally as good as Jacob or, you know, uh, Sam Reed or, or Asad? Of course there are. But for this role, it's as if this was written for them. I cannot, in my mind's eye, see anybody playing Lestat or Louis or Daniel Rashid uh, Armand. I don't know what to call him anymore. Armand Rashid. It's so unfortunate that they had to do a casting change of Claudia, but perhaps we need to trust, I need to trust that because they, you know, picked Bailey Bass, who was not my favorite at the first moment of it. None of them were my favorite at the beginning, except, except Jacob, except Jacob, because I think I just had a little bit of love for him from game of Thrones. Um, you know, I have to just have faith in them that them recasting Delaney as Claudia is going to be just another home run that they've hit. But I, I really like, you know, sometimes you sit and you think about a show and you're like, oh, gee, I wonder, like, like let's say, like, if Friends was came out now, who would play those characters? You can kind of make a game of it and try to cast your perfect, you know, person. I, I can't think of anybody that could pull off specifically Lestat way that sam does one of the things and fully agree with you joe but and and i'll add on to one of the points that he brings up in that answer to the question which has to do with the actor finding actors who can perform the language i thought that was important too so i can't believe you're stealing my thunder you suck (laughs) (laughs) well let's have a we'll have a conversation about it all right so for me that is where camp can become really bad Sure. It can, there is some camp in interview for sure, but is just the right amount of tickets, please. (laughs) I was just literally going to go, Christina, what's your favorite campy moment in the entire series thus far? (laughs) I know that's Joni's favorite scene of all time. To me, it's when the turtles start singing. Well, it's tickets, please, but but it's when no. For me, it's when he's Marie Antoinette and he he does the the baby on. uh, You know, I mean, that was so you know the 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 whole party scene. was really just so beautifully done. Um, but if they turn prose that he's calling it, what do you call it? Elevated prose. Yeah. Okay, so you it can become high prose. High prose. Okay, it can become quickly purple. Sure, and that's why if you're watching, you know I love fantasy, science fiction, and everything, but you need to have people in those roles that can do exactly what he's talking about or it sounds dumb as shit. Right. Right? That's where you get a, just a shitty sci-fi uh, show, whereas in Star Wars, oh, Sir Alec Guinness. Yeah, you're a pretty good choice for that. Or Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. which I just rewatched, watched uh, Return of the King. Obviously, Viggo Mortensen, who speaks, you know— uh, 500 languages or something could pull off Aragorn because he can do that high elevated speech. So with Jacob, I mean, he's already got experience with high Valerian. Okay. 
He's so good he at that. He was so good in Game of Thrones. I mean, he just, he stood there still like nobody else could. <laughs> he was underused in but if Game you, of Thrones. But if you watch the murder of, what's her name? The girl that he liked. The On the wall. Oh, oh yeah, his. Yeah, yeah. His acting there foreshadows his ability for interview. For interview, because yeah. he's stand, he's not young, running and screaming. He's not you know extravagantly throwing himself at the wall as much as he would love to, but he's in total anguish while mm-hmm. she's being murdered, and just amazing, amazing acting. So I hundred percent agree, and I think that's where you get your best choice in shows like this is often stage actors. Well, I mean, I certainly think we've seen that to be the case here. And classically trained actors classically like Shakespearean, trained, yeah. whatever. Like uh, think uh Jean-Luc Picard, right? Right. Shakespearean actor can take that kind of elevate Patrick elevate- Stewart. What? No. Sir Patrick Stewart. He's Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> Get real. Okay. <laughs> Jean-Luc. But um I'll give you an example of an actor who's a very good actor that can't do that. I would say Kevin Costner. Oh. Ah, yeah. Excellent man. actor. Yeah, like he was terrible in, in Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. But he's great in Yellowstone, man. Oh, so great because he's playing crusty Kevin Costner, right? Right. And he's a great actor, but he doesn't have the ability with that elevated speech like in Waterworld. Mm-hmm. Terrible, terrible performance. Yeah. Still a very good actor. And that's what I think Roland Jones is hastening to point out is you can still be a good actor but this is just one facet of the acting ability mm-hmm. that not everybody has. Yeah, this could have turned. This could have gone south very, very quickly. It of could course. have been a, a really un- unfortunate. Now, does Sam speak French, or did he learn French for this? No, I think he learned French for this. I mean, mm-hmm. well, as an expert in the French language, <laughs> I can tell you he's very good. I know that there are some people that that are actual French speakers that might disagree with your assessment. Like, like he did. Oh, he did. Okay. But who, who I've heard really high praise for is Assad in, cause he speaks French in the uh, yeah. amuse bouche. Yeah. I well, love and, that they called it an amuse bouche. <laughs> it's it's just always so clever yeah. that they did that, you know? Yes, absolutely. I would expect nothing less. So, uh, is there any other part of that answer we want to pick apart? Um, but I think I think it's it, it's echoed a lot of the the themes that we've talked about, which mm-hmm. are big operatic. Oh, operatic! That's one thing I do want to talk oh, about. Oh, please do because I think that hints at rock star Lestat. Oh yeah, there you go. Marks, I think that that does rock it. music Marks, video star. Yes, rock music video star. But okay, so I know that that's not something that you really appreciate from the vampire. No, I Lestat. thought it, I think it's hilarious. Well, I know that's not the take I should have, maybe. No, but but yeah, you you kind of tease about it because of rock music videos and stuff like yeah. that. Okay, but what could, could they do this in a way that it isn't too over weird the top. or yeah. too over the top, where it actually melts? Uh, because I, I, there tons of fans are very very excited about. it. I'm excited about yeah. it because it, it, it's a moment where they could jump the shark, though. So it needs to be done delicately. And I'm going to say something controversial. I think that when Anne Rice wrote that, it was just a little bit like on the nose, kind of where he oh, it's MTV, right? And he's going to be a rock star, which, of course, does make sense because that's, you know, the language of the age. Right. Mm -hmm. But it just it did come off as very campy, 
look, Tough Cookie, my favorite character tough of all time. Cookie. <laughs> I love when you say Tough Cookie. I don't know why. Well, and I think I've explained this before, but I listened to that that book on audiobook, and the way the the guy who was reading it, who was very good, by the way, but he would say rock music video star and Tough Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> And I just adopted that, and to me, there's no other way to say those words. <laughs> what a dumb name! All right, it is a dumb name. Here's the thing I that her. I think that was that went awry with the telling of the rock star Lestat story in the Vampire Lestat. And I'm sorry, people who are fans and love it. I'm just going to say this: I think that Anne was not a part of the MTV culture, so she didn't really understand it. And so when she's telling this story, it doesn't ring true to those of us who were deeply enmeshed Mm -hmm. in the MTV culture, right? Because she was just of a certain age that was just beyond understanding that. That's not going to necessarily it would like be me be writing a book and saying he's going to be a TikTok video star, yeah. right? Because yeah. I don't really understand right. TikTok the way a real creator would, right? Yes. Although we're going to see how that goes. So, so, so to name a character Tough Cookie, Tough Cookie. Like, <laughs> first of all, you got to say it correctly. No, no. <laughs> Joni would say it correctly but for me. Tough Cookie. <laughs> see, that's what's up. Okay, all right. But see, that 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 just kind of wasn't. Yeah, it, it, it was a little bit incongruous to yeah. me, for me, but I am really looking forward to Rockstar Lestat. I don't know what he is going to be like in this. I don't you know, know what for they're going to make it. He's Robert Plant. For me, he's he's Damiano David from Man of Skin. That's what I could see him dressing like, and that aesthetic. Their guitarist is or bassist, whatever she plays. What's her name? Vicky Victoria. She's tough cookie. She's tough cookie. Yeah. She could be she tough could cookie. Be tough cookie. They could. They could just have that band. Yeah. She is. She knows she plays. She's a special feature on um, on mm-hmm. Duran Duran's remake of uh, of um, Psycho Killer. Casque. Casque. I thought you said I didn't know French. Mm-hmm. I love what Eric said about the fact that all the voiceover that we hear is actually Jacob saying it. By memory to Eric. That's so cool. I have said this to a couple of people. I don't think there was an actor on earth in 2021 who worked harder than Jacob. Strictly if you went by the number of scenes he's in. He's literally in almost every scene. In normal television shows, even your lead actors are generally in one out of every three scenes. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is in every single one, and it's unheard of. So... The fact that we gave him a break, hey, you don't have to memorize this. He's a marathon runner. He's like, what do you want me to do, run 24 miles out of the 26? I'll do the last two. I just want to be complete about it. I think we got very lucky in that casting. I really do. You know so much from the audition, but you don't know the work ethic, and you don't know the level of commitment. It was just heroic stuff. This is going to give us an opportunity to talk a lot about Jacob. This question. Yes. And I think that that might be something that we maybe don't, you do, Mark, because you always say, you know, this is Jacob's show. This is right. Louis's, this is Louis's story. But that's and, just because I'm a contrarian. <laughs> but, but truly, yeah. his performance, if you, if you go back and you look at the episodes again, which yeah. we've all done, we've watched right. them again now and given it some, some time and distance before we rewatched, um, 
He's fantastic. He's phenomenal in yes. that role. I will tell you that one uh, on one of the spaces recently, there were a group of um, people that did a table read. We were actually invited to take part, I, and unfortunately, we yeah. both were were working. Uh, but they they did the table read, and the the person who did Louis is called Nado on the on on Twitter. Did an amazing yeah. job, but was like really he it was it had to have been exhausting because truly yeah. even in in the first episode You're it's, every it's pretty page. much everything yeah. is louis yeah times whatever it was seven or however many yeah seven episodes yeah. right so jacob level of commitment that he brought to that you can see how difficult that must be to be Louis in the past and Louis in Dubai. And, you know, just this, uh, and the complexity of his emotional state, his performance. And really it is, this is Louis existential crisis interview with a vampire. That's what this is. Uh, in, in, in the series, it's the truth and reconciliation, but really truly interview with a vampire is, is a vampire's existential crisis. Not reading deep into it, not getting, you know, over analytical. It's fucking awesome. I mean, the fact that this guy didn't have to go those extra two miles, as he says, and memorize it and could have just showed up that day to work with his, you know, his Starbucks and his script and just read into a microphone and did that, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it, because obviously Eric Bogosian didn't memorize it and, and he's brilliant. But the fact that Jacob took it upon himself to memorize it and really give his all for the scenes, for the character, for the show is just like, like you said, a testament to this man's work ethic and what a great actor he is. And, you know, it's, it's things like little details like that, that make anybody good at their job, right? Anyone who who goes that extra mile at, at no matter what your job is, that's the type of person that gets a promotion. That's the type of person in this scenario that deserves the awards. And I'm still so mad that they haven't won anything yet for this amazing show. It's ridiculous. And, and it's, it's absolutely Jacob, stupid. You know, and Sam, I mean, I would love to, you know, turn on this year's Emmys and see the two of them sitting in the crowd, you know, split screen where they're showing all the nominees and we're both, you know, we're all biting our nails going, which one of them is it going to be? And, you know, I'd be happy with either or in terms of Jacob or Lasad or, 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 you know, Assad, whoever from this show, but Jacob, that to me just shows, you know, that dedication and is somebody that is going to have a very long, successful career because it's the little things like that, that make you a success doesn't matter what your job is. You could be a librarian, an accountant, or an actor. And this guy, I mean, hats off to him. That's a lot to memorize that much dialogue that he didn't have to do. So that's pretty cool. If I could give them some advice for that award show, wear the fangs. (laughs) Bring the fangs. So he could have the fangs in, and then if he wins and he smiles, you see the fangs. But if he loses, he should snarl and show the fangs. (laughs) Just to, like, threaten the other actor a little bit. Do you think that they're not nominated because the Emmys take place during, like, the day? Like, they start out in the daylight, and they're like, well, they can't make it? (laughs) They might burst into flame. You know me. I think I put the blame somewhat on AMC because you have they have to put them up for these things. You have, and it's an it's an expensive 
an involved proposition. And they, I mean, they did it for Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Maybe they're just exhausted. I don't know. <laughs> well, get on it, AMC. I mean, do it. I think that one of the things that would be great, I mean, I'd be happy to see this, Jacob and Sam as presenters. Oh, my God. You that know, would be hilarious. Because they have fantastic chemistry just they as do. friends, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's great when they're on interviews together. They're very they're very good and very charming. Yeah. You would be able to do a fun bit with the fangs at that point, for sure. Oh, 100%. Just like to raise visibility for the show. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that would be great. Now, look, I blame AMC but let's also recognize that I know nothing about show business, right? <laughs> I could be completely wrong. Absolutely. But and maybe just maybe just the uh, you know, the Emmys, you know, board is too stuffy to nominate gay vampires. Could be, I don't know. Could be biracial gay vampires. Right. I mean, yeah. that may be too much for them. Yeah. Well, that's a shame. Well, because you know what? People look at a show about vampires and they, they think, oh, it's it's juvenile. It'll be schlocky. It's for, it's for yeah. preteen girls, teen girls. No, it's not. I mean, yes, it is, but also, no, it's not. Right. This this show isn't. I mean, look, you take a show like Vampire Diaries or Buffy. Yes, the target audience is middle-aged women like me or teenage girls like Mark. Yes. <laughs> you know. I, I think people hear the word vampire and maybe they get a little turned off if they're not into the genre already. And they have to understand this is more than just a vampire show. And at the end of the day, you have to make a good show. And they have. So I, you know, I'll watch, I'll watch genre shows that are not great just because I like the genre or fantasy or science fiction or whatever. So I'm not the natural demographic mm -hmm. for this show, but they made a great show. It, it's, it's, actors at the top of their craft it's a brilliant showrunner with maybe the exception of one episode mm. great writers amazing sets Costume, you know everything lighting. i mean everything yeah the cinematography is beautiful and that's why i like the show what were some of the most fun times you had on set were there any scenes or episodes in particular that you were extra excited about I have no hesitation saying that my favorite episode was episode six. It's clear we have to kill the step, but it takes a full episode, like anything in does in life, to really come to that conclusion. And so writing that, as we were producing episodes three and four and seeing that begin to come to fruition was like, oh, the reveal can be this way. A lovely thing happened to Levin Aiken who directed episodes five and six, I don't think I've ever had a closer mind meld with a director in 18 years of doing TV. I took 75% of his cut when his director's cut for episode six was turned in, which is a really high percentage. There wasn't a day where I didn't feel totally humbled by the fact that there's 100, 200, 300 people a day working their ass off during these crazy vampire hours for this show that I don't know any other network would have made the way we're making it. Everybody was all in on it because we were really we really pushed these people to the brink. It was pretty cool. I think everybody had some skin in the game, which is a different kind of set to walk onto. It's the it's kind of the best gig I have ever had. I hope season two is going to feel that too because it's pretty special. It was a great episode, but it's yeah, like I don't know how that he can answer that because I'm not the showrunner, and for me to pick out a favorite episode or a favorite scene would be like asking me who a favorite child was. But yeah, I, I think that's pretty cool that they, you know, that that he jived so well with the director and 
it shows in the end product. But you really can't pick a, a single. Oh, I can. I can. It's just it's just hard. All right, yeah, pick a single one. What would be yours? My my fate. I have two. I always got to go against the grain. So for for a for a heartfelt moment, um, or like a serious moment. The, the scene with, with the uh, Polish immortal. Oh, the chess game. Yeah, where Claudia beats him at chess and won't finish the game and just walks away. Like, that is the cuntiest of cunty moves. Excuse my French, but that's what that is. If you want to put it in, in, in really good terms, it's a messed up move that she did. Funny scene, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Tickets, please. That may be... If if I if you put a gun to my head, I would have to go with tickets, please, just because I like campy humor to a degree, you know, when it's done right and that was done right. And just I, I get giddy just thinking about Lestat with his little hand up the thing's head and, and his little hippity hop and his fun accent when he said it and yeah. What about what about you, Christina? What would you say would be like your your favorite scene or scenes? All right, so one of my favorite scenes is when Lestat is being. I mean, I love Polish Immortal. You took it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a different one. Um, I love the scene where they're interrogating Lestat, and Lestat is sitting there, and he's kind of almost like under a That's spotlight. A good one. Yeah, and and he's you know he's he's bearing the bruises of his brawl with his brawl with Louis that happened previously with it at Antoinette's house. I thought that was such a great scene, and Sam in that scene, it he's just so he's so skillful and so great. I also loved the scene in Dubai with Louis at the very end when D Daniel's really pushing him and saying, that, you know, she he's confronting him about Claudia and yeah. killing Lestat, and he says she wouldn't have had a problem killing him. You were the one that had a problem with it. You know, she sat down and wrote. His last words in his own blood. Yeah, like she doesn't She's have a qualms. Psychopath serial you, killer. You're the one, and you know he didn't die. You didn't kill him. You didn't. You didn't kill him. What you know? What was going on? And he's just the way Jacob is emotional in that scene, and and Armand is in the background before we know he's Armand, but he's saying, you know, you only know half the story. You're gonna be, you know, you'll be so whatever he says. You'll be ashamed of yourself when you hear the rest or whatever. I Jacob in that scene, that whole scene was fantastic. The three of those guys just at the top of, of their yeah. form throughout the entire season. And I love that interaction. And I, and that kind of foreshadows obviously, because now Armand will be interacting much more uh, that foreshadows what we can expect in season two and, and what that might, what that might look like having all of those guys really just interacting in the Dubai scenes. And I can't, I can't wait, but Jacob for me in that scene is the one that, that really wins the day for me. So those are my two faves. What about you, Mark? Um, well, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Dubai stuff. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't a flashy scene, but for me, I think it's the feast. Mm -hmm. He's feeding Daniel all these, you know, fancy dishes. Some of them have, you know, meaning for him, you know, because it, it was a dinner. He, it was a the meal dessert. he shared with his, yeah. Yeah, his, mm -hmm. his late wife or ex-wife rather. And, um, <laughs> Louis eats the infamous fox which is not a fennec fox, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just that whole interaction there where, you know, human on one side, monster on another, sharing a meal, but like different universes, mm -hmm. right? He's sitting there, you know, drinking out of blood bags and eating live animals on a plate, 
whereas Daniel is eating this luscious gourmet meal, and he mentions, you know, are they fattening me up for the kill? And that brings that tension in where, you know, Daniel is, he wasn't joking when he told his editor he was going to interview the most dangerous man in the world, although it might be Armand. (laughs) (laughs) No, at any minute, these guys could just decide that he's dessert. Do do you think, Mark, in that scene, though, that it was also to kind of humanize Louis in a way to say, you're dying on flesh and blood, as am I? Yeah, he's like, look, we're the same. Mine just happens to still be squirming around on the plate and screaming while I'm talk up to me. Yours don't. Well, and it does show, I think it does show Louis' humanity. And remember, in the Chronicles, Louis is always the one, even for the vampires, that is the one that is most closely still attached to his humanity. Yes. And so this does Not show that. Not even close. And, yeah. and, and then Louis eats the ice cream and or the dessert, whatever the dessert yeah. is, and says, you know, he tries to eat human food like once a week yeah. to just maintain that connection. Even though he, it tastes like shit to him. Yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting to me that Dan, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, eating that dessert that he had in Paris and, mm-hmm. you know, his memory is that it's with his wife. What if it is Armand? I mean, what if it is Armand and Rashid is that serving would be, him? That's wild. And the then, howls from from you two while you're watching that. Oh my God, Joanne, I'll call oh, you at four in the morning. In the morning I'll be like, what, oh my God. <laughs> you know what the dessert should have been? Viennetta. Oh, Viennetta. <laughs> the fancy ice cream cake from the eighties. <laughs> but no, I'm serious. If that is if that's the case, and then you know that Daniel has been taking digs at Armand the whole time at Rashid. Oh yeah, we called him the red. Boy, yeah. I mean, like if that relationship has happened and it's been as deep as it is in Devil's Minion, and it's like you just know, the oh my god, how wild would that be? Eleven, just, it, it, yeah, that would be on eleven. Season one ends with Rashid's formal introduction to Daniel Malloy, and for those that are familiar with the book, we're about to dive into part two. That means we're headed to Europe. We'll hopefully be meeting more vampires, and we'll get to see what happens to Claudia and Louis as they endeavor to fully extricate themselves from Lestat. What can you tease out about season two? Uh, I can tell you a couple of things. The challenge is that in the second half of the book, there's less plot than there is in the first half of the book, and there's so much internal dialogue. There are long scenes of people having discussions. What we're finding that's really cool about that is even though that's not going to give you a wealth of plot, what it does have are these really big emotional tent poles. They are big plot moments that we're retaining from it, but there are these emotional moments too within our plot that may be slightly different than what's in the book. I'm feeling really, really excited about that. We're going to Europe, and part two of the novel is episode one of season two. So we're going there, and we're going to experience that. Then we're going to Paris. We're going to see what coven life is all about, and we have some more time than the movie or even the book. We're continuing to make the interview part of this, and just as important as the flashback in that they are, there are some very active things that are going to be happening in Dubai. Well, you know, I like to hear that. Mm-hmm. Then, more than anything, and we teased it out a little bit in season one, the idea of memory and what is true and what isn't true is a big player in season two. It's all going towards, groping towards, who am I? How did I get here? 
What is to become of me now? There's a lot. We're having a good time, and we're going to try to squeeze in as much French as we can. People have to learn to play instruments. It's not easy. It's not easy being a vampire on our show. You've got, you've got stuff to learn. We're excited. We're happy season one is out of my hands and off into the world, and now we can build this next thing thoughtfully and beautifully. <laughs> I cannot wait. Are you pumped? So I am excited because... One of my favorite parts of the the second half of the book, it, when they're in, when Claudia and Louis are are in Europe, is the revenants scene. So it looks like we're yeah. gonna we're, we're the revenants section, and it looks like we're gonna get that. And I'm very excited uh, about how they're going to have conversations about what that means to be that kind of a vampire, and and how how they are different as vampires. I'm also, as everyone knows, very excited to see Armand and potentially Lestat interacting. That is going to be very exciting. But I am wondering electric. about these emotional tentpoles. And I think one of the things that is going to be an emotional tentpole, but that, as they sa- as he said, is going to be changed in some way, is the relationship between Claudia and Madeline. Interesting. Because Claudia is older. She doesn't need mom. Claudia could go off and be on her own. She, I mean, she takes some risks in doing that, but she's smarter. As Louis said to her in season one, you think you need me, but you don't. So Claudia does have the ability, likely, to be able to go off on her own. Madeline now is going to serve a different purpose. And I know that there's been speculation about, even going back to last season, speculation about Claudia's sexuality. We know that... In the Ricean universe, vampires are bi- uh, vampires are all at least bisexual, yeah, um, or pansexual. But right. but um, so so I I wonder if it's going to be a more romantic relationship with Madeline and Claudia, and what that is going to mean. So that would be one of the emotional temples because that's a big thing for Claudia in the book yeah. to find Madeline, who will be her next caretaker because she feels right. Louis slipping away. And she finds Madeline to take care of her in the books. And here, it, it could be the same thing where she sees Louis forming another relationship. She doesn't want to be the third wheel necessarily in Again. that relationship. Yeah. And so now she's going to form her own relationship and go go off. And, um, you know, here's the question. It's going to have to happen because we know that there's a trial. But here's where they could get funny with it and say, well, Claudia, why don't you and Madeline just go off? Into and the not sunset, kill her. you don't, <laughs> and not kill her. But she's I don't. But they're de- she's definitely, definitely going to get killed. She's, <laughs> she's definitely. There's going to be a. There's definitely going to be. You know, there's a trial that 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 that, that we know is going to happen. So you think Louis dimes her out? No, Lestat does. Well, in the series, Louis is the one that does the final. Yeah, but on Claudia Lestat. plans it. Claudia right. plans it, but Louis, it, it, in the book, if, it, in the series, if... You could make a Rico case against Claudia. <laughs> if the series... Yeah, yeah, it was a contract kill. But no, Claudia does plan it, but Louis does, executes well, it. And then the question is... I'm glad it was you, Louis. What was the memory? Is, yeah. is the memory real? We, right. don't, we don't know, because right. they also say that about memory. But anyway, what do you guys think? What's going to be exciting is... Look at what they did with New Orleans and Storyville and the set and the costumes and everything surrounding it from that aspect and seeing, you know, old fashioned Paris through the eyes of all of these characters that we love 
for me is going to be exciting. I, I would love to travel to Paris, the city I've not had a chance to get to yet. And, you know, it's going to be a kind of a fun way to explore, you know, back in the day, kind of old time Paris, but also, you know, looking forward to writing commercials and having to dig deep into, you know, some Parisian themes and things like that, I think is going to be a lot of fun for us. And I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, so, because I know you guys, like I said, are going to cover the whole plot and, and characters interacting from a personal podcast standpoint. That's what I'm excited about for season two. And I would just be completely thrilled and over the moon if somehow, some way, and I know it's not going to happen, Claudia lived. I just think that would be a, such a fun plot twist. Um, so that's that's it for me. What about you, Mark? I'm very excited about the European scenes. So they obviously they shot in Prague. In fact, we had a number of listeners that actually went to Prague. Well, listeners she, and 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 mutuals on uh, Twitter people yeah. people that we are. Following I only, on I only care about the listeners. Though. <laughs> okay. Screw the rest of you. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, if you want to be on the team, be on the team. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> but Prague was a perfect choice. Uh, having been there myself, you oh, know, oh my, once. <laughs> um, but it's first of all, it was one of the great intellectual centers of Europe. But also, it's one of the very few great cities of Europe that didn't get bombed to shit. During World War II. So there's a lot of original architecture from like the 12th century on or the maybe the 11th century on. And you couldn't get that in Paris. Uh, just the fact that they're going to be, you know, in Europe um, at that time with this amazing theater experience, I think is going to be just super cool. But more than anything, you know, I've always said these writers have a lot of work to do to tie up some of these ends. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to see how they fucking do that. Mm -hmm. Like, that will be some serious wizardry Yeah, if they can do this without fucking it up. Season two will make or break the show. But again, you can have the best backdrops, you can have the best costumes, lighting, and everything else, and the best actors. But if they shit the bed on the storyline and the storytelling, which I, I just, I can't fathom that they would they've given us every reason to think that they'll do a great job not with that writer's room i just don't think that this is a, a flash in the pan right. one season right you know the first season is so, good and everything else is crap no they they, they had a little boo-boo in season one and hopefully they've you know listened to what what the view a couple boo-boos in season one i should say you know lazy tropes we all know that we've belabored all of that but Hopefully they've learned from that and they've listened to what the fans and the viewers have said and what we have said here on Vampire Insider. Because I know you're listening, Rollin. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It better be. Hey, man, you're awesome. Yeah. Well, and since you brought that up, I have a huge announcement to make. Oh, cut it out. No. I personally have greenlit season three. Oh, good. So Rollin is learning. Oh, are you funding it? Are you going to fund it too? Yeah, well, No. No, um, but Rollin is learning that for the first time here on our podcast <laughs> that season three is greenlit. Oh no! Right, go I, man, go. Cool, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I honestly am waiting. That's yeah. That's the announcement that I am most excited for is season three because I just fucking gave it to you. No, be, the real announcement, and and here's why. Because in all of the, I guess, well, this isn't fair, but Queen of the Damned, I, you can't even count that as. 
a movie. A movie. No. So this is going to be really the first time that the vampire Lestat story is told if they do green, if they do go forward with season three. Right. This is the first time that story is going to be told. This is a huge thing for Rice fans. Yeah. That should be a huge Sam, thing. Because Sam, you better hit the gym because you're going to be working hard, son. She, because that's the one that she wanted to see done and done yeah. well. I mean, she's yeah. she's spoken to that quite quite a few times. So th- so this is going to be huge to have that have that experience, and I'm really looking forward to that. All right, so Joanne, would you like to take us out? All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to follow us on Twitter. You can follow us at Vampire underscore Insider. Mark is at Mark Eats Peach. Christina is at Christina Gen X. We know based on our Spotify wrap up that you are sharing us with your friends. And we literally cannot thank you enough for that. So please continue to do that. Thank you guys. Have a great night. Good night, Christina. And good night, Mark. Bye. Vielen Dank und Tschüss. And uh, peace out, Cub Scouts. <laughs>